Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. Today in part seven of this series, a very subtle lie, man. This one is really subtle. And the subtle lie is that education is the highest good. Education is the highest good. Give a person an education, man, you've given him the most important thing you can give him. And that lie is extremely subtle, extremely believable. Education is the answer. Underprivileged people hear this all the time. And education will solve all your problems. In fact, it is the highest good. That's the way our culture presents education. Well, that brings up the question, what is the highest good? And what should we be pursuing with our time, talent, and treasure? I mean, what is the highest good? What do you go after in life? And what makes this lie extremely subtle is God commanded us to learn. God commanded education. He commanded us to learn everything we can about His creation. I mean, I'm just looking at Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. It said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, or be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. That's the big deal. Fill the earth and subdue it. To subdue the earth, to subdue the earth, we have to learn everything we can about the earth. I mean, we have to learn, we have to discover it, harness it, use it for His glory and the good of people everywhere. And God gives us, to do this, God gives us what animals don't have. He gave us rational minds. And so there's nothing wrong with education in itself, but the right education. I, I got this off the internet. Um, uh, a kid in Arizona, 15 years old, wrote this. I, I think this is kind of neat for a 15-year-old kid, I tell you. Now I sit me down in school where praying is against the rule. For this great nation under God finds mention of him very odd. If scripture now the class recites, it violates the Bill of Rights. And any time my head I, I bow becomes a federal matter now. Our hair can be purple, orange, or green. That's no offense. It's a freedom scene. The law is specific. The law is precise. Prayers spoken aloud are a serious vice. For praying in a public hall might offend someone with no faith at all. In silence alone we must meditate. God's name is prohibited by the state. We're allowed to cuss and dress like freaks and pierce our noses, tongues, and cheeks. They've outlawed guns, but first the Bible, to quote the good book, makes me liable. We can elect a pregnant senior queen and the unwed daddy our senior king, but it's inappropriate to judge right from wrong. We're taught that such judgments do not belong. We can get our condoms and birth control, study witchcraft, vampires, and totem poles, but the Ten Commandments are not allowed. No word of God must reach this crowd. It's scary here, I must confess, when chaos reigns, the school's a mess. So, Lord, this silent prayer I make, should I be shot, my soul, please take. I mean, I don't want to bash the school system either because this, I mean, this congregation met in a school for over five years, and I met some beautiful, caring, lovely, godly people in the school system. Then I met a number of people who were not believers in Jesus Christ per se, but, um, but, but, but they were moral people. And they were in the business of, of education to pass on something good to kids. And if you listen to James Dobson on Focus on the Family, he has the highest praise for Christian teachers in the public sector. And he commends them and says, we need you guys out there. Don't leave the public schools for Christian schools. And that'll lead us to another lie of the devil. And now we're going to discuss that this morning, too, or think about that this morning. The world is so evil. Get together with your own little Christian group, shelter yourself, and don't involve yourselves with the world. That's another lie. And see, see, so this lie that education is the most important thing you can give a person is also a subtle attack on the family. So you've got a number of related lies here. But I just want to give some thoughts on God's word from God's word on this lie. 
There's three of them, that education is the highest good, not only for kids, but across the board. And the first thought, and the first thought is this, is it? Is education the best thing you can give yourself or your children or the people you love? And I've heard this quote by so many, Oprah included. Anyway, here's what um, others plus Oprah. I remember Oprah's comment on this. They say you can take away everything, but the one thing, now this is her comment, the one thing you can't take away from me is my education. You can take everything away, but the one thing you can't take from me is my education. And Oprah believes that lie. And a lot of other people believe. You don't know how many people believe that lie, see? I said earlier, the reason this lie is so subtle is because, is because God commanded us to learn. He said, subdue the earth in Genesis 1.28. And when he said, subdue the earth, that means learn all about it. Learn as fast as you Learn nanoscience. Yeah, learn nanoscience. How infinitely, how infinitely small God created some things. I mean, learn everything you can about my, my, my creation, the life sciences, art, literature, flowers, birds, food. Man, look what Emerald does with food. Learn a thing or two. I mean, when God said, when God said, subdue the earth and learn about it, he wanted us to learn about him. His purpose in education is for us to stand in awe of him. I'll look at Luke 1, The Bible says, and Jesus grew. Not only in stature, it says in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. And we never want to stop growing. But Jesus studied what? He studied the Torah. And the Torah is a word for the law, and the law is another word for the scriptures. In fact, our Lord knew, knew, knew the scriptures better than any man who would ever live according to his human nature. This mom told me, and this illustrates the problem, and we had this um, conversation at Big Boy on Van Dyke and 21. I'd been out to lunch with somebody else, and when that lunch ended, I saw this lady sitting there with her girlfriend, and I knew her, so I went over there, and I, I saw her, you know, just her eyes kind of wet underneath her eyes, and so I said, what's going on? And she said, my husband asked me this morning, if I had it all to do over again, would I marry him again? And she said, I couldn't say yes. And she was almost in tears. And her girlfriend had her arm around her. And she said, I love my husband, I'd never leave him. But if I knew then what I know now, I'd never marry him again in the first place. Or I'd never marry him in the first place. She said, because she said, I'm a Christian, he's not. And I want to take the kids to church and kids' church and teach them the word in the home. And he always has some smart remark. Like, like what's this going to do to prepare him for life, see? Or is this going to help him get a job, see? And to him, um, Jesus Christ, God, Bible, church was, was a crutch for weak people. Give them an education, he says. Prepare them for life in the real world. And that's the lie the devil has most people believing. And she said, do I love him? Of course I love him. Would I marry him again? She said, no. And the question is, what is the most important thing we can go after? Is it education? I, I just look at Revelation 21. Revelation 21, 1 and 2. And here's what the Word of God says. The Apostle John writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And that's just John saying, okay, this is what heaven is like. That's just the Spirit inspiring John to say, this is what heaven is like. Then you get to this verse, verse 3, man, this is so precious. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, and this is heaven. You, you, you boil everything you can say all you want to about heaven, but you boil it down to this. Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God forever. Let me say that again. I want to read this again. Verse 3, Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And I'm adding the word forever, and he will be their God. And see, that's heaven, to be with forever, the one who died for me. That's heaven. 
Now look at verse 4. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, no crying, no pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Folks, I'll tell you, I miss that. I miss everything. Let me say that again. I miss that. I miss everything. If my loved ones miss that, they miss everything. I mean, you talk about the highest good, the ultimate goal. That's it, to be with him forever. I mean, you can go on and read the rest of Revelation 21 and 22, and all about the perfection, the beauty of heaven. And that it's going to make us speechless. I mean, it's beyond anything we can possibly conceive of. Disney, Pixar, and Pixar, and all their special effects could never, ever, ever conceive of them, of what heaven is going to be like. It's going to be so great. And then you've got to think about this, too, that hell is just the opposite. If heaven is beauty, perfection, and everything that is good, hell is just the opposite. It is that horrible. It is that detestable. It's a real place. There will be real suffering and real people will be there. And that's all I want to say about hell. But if people in my life, beginning with my family, miss that, if they miss heaven, they have missed everything. It is my mission in life and your mission in life to direct them there. You have no higher calling. You have no higher calling, believe me. But, but, but demons lie. And they tell us that they want you to believe that education is the answer to life's problems. That is the ultimate goal. That is the ultimate good. That's where you should be investing all your, all your energies. And the Word of God says, no, the greatest good is to present yourself and to present your loved ones acceptable to God the Father through Jesus Christ by trusting in Him to be with him forever. That is the highest good. That is the ultimate good. And the greatest good, this side of the grave is Moses. I mean, Moses got really fed up with leading the Israelites. I mean, they're always crumbling and complaining. And Moses said to God one day, I think this is in Genesis 32, he said, or Exodus 32, he said, God, I'm fed up. I'm tired of leading these people. I don't want to lead the Jews anymore. I quit. Jeremiah said the same thing. Jeremiah said, I'm prophesying to all these people. I'm speaking your word to all these people, and nobody's paying attention. I'm through, God. I quit. And Moses and Jeremiah both thought about it, and they said, no, that's not what God wants me to do. And they both said, Lord, help me to fit in with your will. See, that, folks, that is the highest good this side of the grave. The greatest pursuit is when, the greatest pursuit this side of the grave is when your flesh wants to go this direction and you stop and you say, hey, wait a minute, this is not God's will. This is the direction God wants me to go. You catch yourself and you say, no, I'm not going the direction of my flesh. I'm going to go the direction God wants me to go. And that, folks, is the highest good this side of the grave. And it's all bound up in this one passage, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. What's life all about? I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And the glory of God happens when we stop in our tracks and we say, hold on, is this what God wants? You ask that question and then you find out what God wants and you go that direction. Listen, you don't want to miss God's best. Revelation 21.3, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God, and I add forever. And that comes by humbly believing this truth that is so difficult for some that we cannot ever attain to a righteousness that would please God, apart from the righteousness of Jesus Christ. God's high standard is perfection. And folks, ask my wife, I ain't perfect. Neither are you. I could never attain to that standard, but Jesus Christ did that for me. And you got see, heaven is not automatic. Not everybody goes to heaven, but only those who trust in Jesus Christ are their Savior. And folks, I want to tell you, that, that message is so simple, it's difficult. And sometimes education gets in the way of that simple, beautiful truth. 
That's why it comes back to the home, see? I said education will get in the way of that simple, beautiful truth, and it comes back to the home. And this is the second thought on this slide. This is thought number two on, the, on this slide. The most important thing we can give anybody is an education. So let's go back to the very first ser sermon in this message, um, that truth is relative. See, the lie that truth is relative. And we talked about Daniel. And um, the Jews had been conquered by and deported to Babylon, and the king Nebuchadnezzar commands that the best and brightest of the young Jewish captives be trained for service in Babylon. Okay, now, of these best and brightest of the young Jewish cap uh, captives are Daniel, that's his, that's his Hebrew name, and then you've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names. Part of this deal to be trained for for service, in, in, in political service to the king. Part of this deal was they got a special diet. The Bible calls it the king's meat or the king's food. And we saw that Daniel and friends knew, they knew that to eat the king's meat or the king's food was contrary to the dietary laws that God gave to the Jews in Leviticus 11. And so, so Daniel and friends worked out a deal to eat vegetables and water to be obedient to God. That was the first message in the series. But part of that whole thing was Babylonian culture, Babylonian religion would be drilled into these guys. They would be immersed in it. They would be inundated in this whole deal. This is on Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and, and, and nobility. Young men, listen, without any defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. And he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians, and I'm sure they learned a lot of good stuff, but Babylon was the seat of world paganism. In commentaries, I read, said that these young men had to learn all about these pagan Babylonian gods and Babylonian religion and all this man-centered stuff. Now, here's the big deal. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could handle this. They could handle this because in their homes, in their homes before that deportation to Babylon, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego learned God's word. Their moms and dads grounded them in the truth of God's word. That's why they could say, wait a minute, wait a minute, we can't eat this food. I mean, Leviticus 11, they didn't have a Leviticus 11 in that day and age, but they said this part of scripture says um, we're not supposed to do that, and so they make a deal to eat veggies. That's why, because in their homes, mom and dad instilled principles of truth from God's word, and not one of these guys ever compromised their faith. You have to remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel had gone through this program and they were all in service to the king. Now they were in political office and they were pretty high in the kingdom, okay? They became advisors to the king. So now Daniel's out of the country on some diplomatic mission. And while he's gone, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, well, the Nebuchadnezzar decrees, I built this gold statue of a Babylonian god, an idol, and when the music plays, everybody's got to bow down and face this statue and worship my gold idol. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, we're not going to do that. And you see, and you don't defy the direct order of a king, especially a despotic ruler like Nebuchadnezzar. And then the king, Nebuchadnezzar, hears about this, that these three guys in his service defied his direct order. And so I'm looking at verse 13 of Daniel chapter 3, and the word of God says, furious with rage. It's the NIV, furious with rage. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And so these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, 
You see, when the music played, you were supposed to bow down. So he said, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, pipes, and all that stuff, all the kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. What's he saying? I'm going to give you guys another chance, okay? But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to, uh, to rescue you from my hand? What God will be able to rescue you from my hand. So now came a defining moment. This was a defining moment in the life of these three guys because they could say, hey, let's just fall down and worship this God. This is no big deal. You know, at least we'll stay alive, right? We'll stay alive. And then we can worship our God, the true God, privately. They could say that or they could not bow down to this image. You're about to hear some of the very best words in the Bible. Verse 16, Daniel chapter 3. When I, I got this circled, mar I got this marked, highlighted. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. And here's what I love. But even if he does not, they're letting this up to God. Even if he chooses not to deliver us from this blazing furnace, even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up, O king. Now, 60 years ago, we would have said, put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> but folks, that is all the influence, hear me now, that is all the influence of the home. That is the influence of the home, and that's where I want my loved ones to be. Mom and dad teaching God's word, modeling God's word, making an effort to get their kids involved in Christian groups where they learn the word of God, where they hang out with Christian kids, and they model the word of God. Mom and dad get their faces into the word. They don't just tell their kids to do it, see? Because they know if all you have is education, if all you, well, I mean, if all they had was education, would they ever have done that? Of course not. If all you have is education from a secular world, you're done, man. You are toast. See, we don't have time in one message to go into all the bad stuff and wrong stuff that's out there. But, but, but Cheryl heard this um, last week on Bob Dutko. I didn't hear this. But didn't he say there was a, 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 a school somewhere where they had to practice Islam for one day? They had, to they had to dress like Islamic people. They had to practice Islam. And there are only two Islamic people in the school. Now see, and they did it in the name of diversity. That's the whole big deal. They do it in the name of diversity. And you may say that's an extreme case, but that's happening more and more and more. And Bob Duco said something like this. He said, okay, if it's in the name of diversity, will you give Christians their day so they can wear a t-shirt that says Jesus saves, you know, and bring their Bibles and have Bible studies, play praise music, stuff like that? Of course, that's never going to happen. And the point is, and this is the big point, and this is from demons, fallen angels, dispatched by Satan himself. The school is usurping the authority of the family. It is slow, it is subtle, and it's creepy. Creepy in this respect. It's creeping in, creeping in, creeping in. They're taking away the authority and influence of the family, and we don't even know it. It all goes back to this blanket lie. You can't, you can't give the ones you love anything more important than an education. I pray that you know this lie that you want Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes, folks, who say, our God will deliver us, but if he chooses not to, we still, we still won't bow to your statue, Mr. King. That's what you want to produce. You know, our kids are spending more and more time in school. 
and other related activities like the Onaway school system, six in the morning until six at night. Other related activities like sports, social skills. I mean, there's just too many to mention. And teachers and coaches and instructors of all kinds are influencing our kids, um, in some cases, a lot more than parents. And that's not God's plan. The home is supposed to be the primary influence. Everything else is supposed to support the home, see? And that, and that, that took me to 1 Timothy 5.4. And this is from the King James Bible. It's your memory work for today from the NIV. But I like this. I learned this in the King James. 1 Timothy 5.4 says, let them learn first to show piety where? At home. What's piety? The word piety, just, the, the whole gamut of loving and obeying the Lord. That's what it, let them learn first to show piety at home. Because this is pleasing to the Lord, and that's God's word, man. Let them learn it in the home, and we are just too busy. And that is Satan's ploy. You've got to know this. Satan's ploy is to make us busy. With all this stuff, we involve ourselves and all our kids, and, you know, and we think it's all necessary. That's the lie. You've got to do Everyone else is doing it. This is all so necessary. That is a lie right out of the pit of hell, folks when the most necessary thing is for mom and dad to be together with their children, loving them, teaching them, modeling the love of Jesus Christ. And I remember saying this about two years ago, but, but the USC got 1,000 people involved in this study. University of Southern California got 1,000 people involved, involved in this, this, this project, you might say, to eat five dinners a week. Not, just not go to all this other stuff. And just to eat five meals a week, dinners a week, together as a family and um, see what happens. And these kids involved in this program, first of all, did not miss any of the stuff. Bottom line, they didn't miss it, okay? They really didn't miss it. Um, they didn't miss the sports, the cheerleading, the ballet, the woodworking, and a million other things. And listen to this, they were more secure, much more secure, equipped to go out into the world. They were better adjusted and happier. I forgot where I read that, but we read it. See, we had this family dinner priority in our house. I want to tell you folks, so, hey, w w there were some soccer practices we didn't go to. And, and of course, you didn't go to the practice, you couldn't play in the game. And so I can remember one time my boy Daryl just sat there and just watched. He didn't play the game because we didn't go to soccer practice because we, we had a meal together. And they didn't go to all the cheerleading practices. We didn't have them in all these social skill things and all that. We had dinner together, and we sit around the table. I talk to the kids, and we talk about the day. And one thing I remember trying to do always is trying to nail them down in that little thing that happened in your day today. Did you see the hand of God? That's a great time to do that, man, your dinner time. Did you see the hand of God? And that little crazy thing that happened to you. Um, do, do you see that God is personal? See, the devil wants you busy. The devil wants us all involved. And so the family becomes less of an influence, and the school and other venues become more and more of an influence. Now, here's how you beat the devil, folks. Cut stuff out of your schedule. You've got to be different. And it takes a great deal of courage today to cut stuff out so your family becomes what God ordained it to be, the primary major influence on each other. What does the Bible call our kids? Psalm 127, verse 4. Like what? In the, in, in, like arrows. Like arrows, right? Like arrows in the sheath of a warrior. Like arrows. So what do you do with an arrow? I know, guys, right now, especially you hunt deer. You shoot a deer, right? That's what you do with an arrow. But you shoot an arrow. The Holy Spirit called our kids arrows for a reason. You train them in the Word of God. You establish them like the moms and dads of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and you send them in the world to offer light 
so that they can say, oh, king, no matter what happens, we're not going to fall down and worship your God. And other people are going to see that. And they're going to be light. And they're going to be salt. And they're going to offer hope. See? Well, today we've seen that education is not the number one thing that we can um, offer people. If they miss Revelation 21.3, we're talking about heaven. And they will be his people, and he will be their God forever. If they miss that, they have missed everything. And no matter how great a parent you were and how great an education you gave them, if they miss that, were you really a good parent? People can say they can take everything away, but not my education. For all you people who have your kids spend time on their education before they spend time on the Word of God, when they die, when they die, that dies with them. And the only thing that goes beyond the grave is Jesus Christ as the Father's way to heaven. Nothing else, nothing else remains. We've seen the devil use this lie to destroy the family. We've seen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego face the fiery furnace and didn't back down or compromise because their moms and dads grounded them in the word of God. We've seen the devil's lies, and the, the devil tells us busy is good. And I ask, what can, no, what will you cut out to be together as a family and not be threatened by, oh, all the other kids are doing it? And I just pray these words are a blessing somehow to you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School, 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.